Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is online editor Michael Abernathy. I'm here with reporter Isaac Groves, who has been following a murder trial in court this week. Um, Isaac, can you tell us, please, about the case? Yeah, this is the City Park murder. It happened on Memorial Day 2016. A 21-year-old named Tony Antoine Day Jr. was shot in what the police have been calling a robbery setup. Um, the theory is that two women lured him and another man into the bathrooms at night in City Park. I think there's been some talk about a drugs for sex exchange, but it turned out to be, according to the prosecutors, a, uh, an ambush. And so... Uh, they have accused a 20-year-old named Kyle LeVar McNeil and a, 21, uh, a 22-year-old named Kakeem Malik Harvey of shooting day as he came out while he was in this bathroom with these two women. came out the other day that the other man who did survive and is going to be a witness in this trial basically escaped because Mr. McNeil's gun jammed. This has been um, – there's still in jury selection. It started jury selection on May the 2nd. There's been a number of motions between now and then, you know, about oh, trying to get certain evidence in. Um, they had a motion this week to separate the, uh, to actually sever the, the trial. They, originally, the defense did not object to having the trial, the two men um, tried together because they're not going to be testifying against each other. But um, there's been, they had a motion about a phone call that Harvey arranged to have made by another inmate in the Alamance County Jail. It was actually a very convoluted thing. So he, they, he arranged to have uh, another inmate make a phone call to Joshua Sims, the surviving victim. It was a very strange thing because basically he, he said, you need to contact this guy before this trial starts, and then he reads Sims his own phone number and address. One of the prosecution's theories is that he actually made a mistake. He was supposed to call somebody else who was supposed to go see him in person, but instead he called Sims. And Sims was so frightened by this that he, because he, he lives with his grandmother and he was afraid for his grandmother. So he, he spoke to prosecutors and actually asked how long he would be in jail if he refused to testify in the trial. And then also Harvey had that, that the judge called a small outburst in court, which as I understand it, I wasn't in the court at that time, but he swore in, in, uh, in hearing of at least one juror. They've been doing individual uh, questioning of jurors just to see how much they have read about the case. They don't want to contaminate other jurors if they if these people have read too much. You know, basically, if you read the Times News, you may not be on this jury. I think they had yeah. one man who was uh, they they talked to today individually who reads our business stuff because he works for Duke Energy and he needs to know when we're having new apartment complexes come up stuff like that because they have to do all the metering and everything. But he never reads any of our other stuff. So it's funny. I'm. I mean, we're going to have. 12 people who do not know who I am. <laughs> so anyway, witness intimidation is the issue. Right. Well, he wanted to sever it because it made, if it made Harvey look bad, it was going to make McNeil look bad. And he didn't want to have the prejudice rub off on McNeil. The prosecutor, Corey Santos said, well, there's already been cover up that's going to be alleged against McNeil as well. He apparently got somebody to give the police false information. There's been some other stuff that's going to come out at the trial. 
And he, he said it's pretty important that we not drag this out any longer because aside from Sims, there are two cooperating witnesses, the women who lured them into the bathroom, allegedly, uh, a Nicole Brittany Slade and Akayizi Cariona Wright. I haven't heard their names actually spoken before, but they are being held outside of the county in a, uh, in a women's facility in special protection. Uh, they have been offered a deal of about, I think, 10 years. They're going to do 10 years each. What are they charged with? Oh, first-degree murder or yeah. robbery with a dangerous weapon. I mean, they, they're they charged with being a part of this conspiracy. Okay. Um, so they're going to be getting significant reduced sentences, but I think there's been a letter that Harvey wrote to Slade um, telling her that she should marry him so she wouldn't have to testify against him. There have been threats made by other inmates. And I th- according to Santos, uh, Wright even made a threat against Slade if she testified even though they both have the same deal. Um, so he's worried about having his witnesses uh, basically fall apart on him. Right. Um, and this is the, uh, this, this, the motion where the, 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 to sever is the first time it's come out in open court about gang affiliations, which is not something that anybody has been wanting to bring up in this case. Um, they haven't talked in open court about why. I imagine it's kind of difficult to prove. I mean, you can have police come in and say, yes, they're on our gang list, but... But then, like you said, you've got a defense attorney who says, well, what does that mean? Right. And where did you get that list and how how was that list compiled? Right. Right. And then you would have to have essentially a separate trial about that. If it's not necessary, say, if you have surveillance video and cooperating witnesses, why get into all that? I mean, besides the the motive is apparently robbery. So, you know, who cares if you're a gang, a gang member, unless you happen to know these guys are gang members and notice that Mr. McNeil pretty much every day I've been in there is wearing a bright red button up shirt. And, uh, uh, Mr. Harvey usually wears bright red shoes. Now, of course I've looked over at the victim's relatives and one day I was like, oh, that, that woman's wearing a bright red shirt. That man's wearing red shoes. I don't know that that isn't necessarily a gang, a gang sign, but according to Santos, these guys are bloods. This is what he said in court. Um, and so the, uh, the, the colors do stand out. Okay. Today, so Judge Lambeth, um, what banned cell phones from the courtroom? That wasn't today. That was last week. That was oh. at the very beginning. Um, there was, I had noticed some of the victim's relatives kind of hunched over a cell phone, and I don't know what they were doing, but at some point, Lambeth said, you know, we're not going to have any cell phones in here anymore uh, for security reasons. So apparently they were looking something up, texting somebody. I'm not really sure. But uh, um, if your phone comes out of your pocket in that courtroom, it is going to be confiscated. Um, it is one of those things. In Superior Court, the phones have been pretty tolerated for a long time. And, uh, and during jury selection, no phone is really kind of a drag. I've seen a couple of the potential jurors walk in there with some really big literature. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were more than 40 people excused for cause in the first couple of days. Um, and then this week it's been, I think, uh, I heard there were, um, they tend, they tend to become in waves. Uh, so one day it's, uh, you know, a standard question is, do you trust uh, a police officer more than another person? And several people said, Oh yes, absolutely. And mm-hmm. went on their way. Um, then it was uh, my religious, uh, I have religious convictions against ju- sitting in judgment on people. And those people get to go. And that happened. You get one, you end up with three. I think they had three of those. And now they're, they're like I said, they're interviewing people individually uh, for whether or not they've been reading the Times News. And the man I'd referred to earlier 
because he was able to say, oh, no, I, I, I've heard that there was a murder in City Park, but I never read the crime stories. Um, the defense attorneys did want to ex- have him excused for that. But uh, Lambeth said, no, he's if you re- if you know our local paper, open and shut has nothing to do with crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not familiar with that. You're from out of town. He's he's going to stay. I think I think Lambeth is uh, is really wanting to get this started. How many have they selected at this point? It's right now it's five till six on Friday. I haven't checked. I, when I went in there this afternoon at through two o'clock, uh, there were eight. Okay. Uh, before I left, they cut two. So uh, right. I would imagine they might be back up to eight by now. And they're going to have three alternates. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have this. We're looking at possibly at another week. We are looking at possibly another week. That is excruciating. It really is. Uh, the, I mean, I... Like I said, I, I fortunately I had another trial I could cover during the week. Otherwise, I would have, yeah. I would have completely melted down in there. I'm not really sure how the bailiffs are handling it. That's a good opportunity to switch gears and talk about this other trial. We've been calling it the wood chipper trial in in-house slugs. Uh, a story slug for people who don't know is is what we name the file of a story, right? Uh, so that we know what to look for. Uh, yeah, this is this is an interesting uh, interesting case. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a family feud. The defendant who was found not guilty this week, his name is Jesse James Gaddy. And, uh, he was, uh, he's a tree guy. He removes and trims trees and he was using a wood chipper, which you've seen. They're like built in trailers and it's a big grinder. You make big pieces of wood into small pieces of wood. <laughs> oh, like Fargo. Like Fargo. Exactly. Exactly. This is a, a Fewer much people. Yeah. Right. This is a much less grim crime involving a wood chipper. Um, he apparently got into an argument with his, I believe they're cousins, but a man named Richard Gaddy, who was also a tree guy. Richard Gaddy, I'm familiar with because I was, I covered his uh, possession with intent to sell and deliver heroin trial last year, uh, which he pled guilty to. And, uh, Richard Gaddy, when he testified, uh, said that Jesse had owed him money and wouldn't pay him. So he said, well, I know that your wood chipper is stolen. And Jesse said, well, that's not true. I, I had posted something on Facebook saying that Richard and his, the guys he works with are all doing heroin. And he got mad about that. And so he came over one day and we made a big fuss about it. And there's different stories about how many times the sheriffs came out during all this altercation. Uh, but it turns out that the chipper is actually stolen. Um, it had originally belonged to a tree guy in Hillsboro, uh, a man named Wayne Jordan. Who and now this is it. All seems like fun and games. But when Jordan bought this thing, it was worth about sixteen thousand dollars. Right. So this is not a small investment, and they're not small pieces of equipment either. No, they are not. I mean, this is this gets pulled by a trailer, which it makes it easy to steal. It's got two wheels on. If you got a big enough truck, it's, it's yours. And that's where, it, in 2013, he had taken it to a place called Barnes Equipment Repair in Effland, and it got repaired and was sitting out waiting for him to come and get it. And then I think on July 18th, 19th, of 2013, you know, Barnes calls him up and says, "Did you pick it up?" He says, "Nope." He says, "Well, let's call the cops because it's gone." And Jesse Gaddy claims that he bought it uh one of the guys he works with who also works with richard put him together with a man named henry thomas and henry thomas sold it to him for ninety eight hundred dollars and he has a bill of sale that was notarized by a woman named deborah cobb now thing is 
the deputy investigating this could never find Henry Thomas. He's not convinced Henry Thomas exists. Now, he checked for Henry Thomas on you know, the, the databases that the sheriff's office uses. So if Henry Thomas had never had any interaction with local government, then he wouldn't necessarily show up. So it doesn't mean he doesn't exist, but the detective is pretty sure that he didn't. And the notary, when she was called to testify, admitted that she does remember doing the notarizing the bill of sale because she'd never notarized a bill of sale for a wood shepherd before, but she doesn't really remember if there were two people there at the time. And she admitted that she doesn't always observe, didn't know. I don't see, I don't think she's actually a notary anymore, but she would sometimes fudge it. If there was a signature, somebody brought in an extra driver's license, something like that. She wouldn't necessarily have to have both parties there to notarize a document. The people who were testifying against, uh, Jesse Gaddy were not, um, you know how in the trial, when someone testifies, you can ask them how many convictions they've had in the past 10 years? Yeah. Well, Jesse had the fewest. Um, okay. Just about anybody who testified who wasn't in law enforcement or his wife. His wife apparently didn't have a criminal record. but uh, And his only the only criminal record he has in the past 10 years is two incidents of domestic violence. And now, Richard obviously had the, the, uh, the heroin plea last year and a couple of other incidents um a man named james ivy who uh testified who had originally told the police in 2016 that uh that he had that he knew that or anything he he didn't uh, it's hard to say exactly what he told them but he had seen jesse gaddy kind of noticed that this this chipper was out there uh, at, at this place in Eflin when they were riding by and had seen some of the the uh, the interaction and I think the prosecutor was expecting him to say that he knew that that Jesse was he did give them testimony to indicate that Jesse knew he was buying something stolen um, but he did not do that when he was on the stand now um, James Ivy also has a drug issue he said in the stand that he's been clean for nine months he's on Suboxone um, and he's, uh, he's living out of the county now, but has to come back here for, uh, for rehab. And I think it's, it's one of those things like, uh, if you ever met roofers, the guy who owns the company is the one standing on the ground. The guy's up on top of the roof, um, would have a hard time getting a job anywhere else yeah. in a lot of cases. Not always, not always. And it's not always that way with tree people either, but I have seen, I mean, I've seen tree people who were obviously very professional. I've also seen three people in court who as have I. Right. Right. And who, you know, they have to hire somebody to drive them around because they're riding a scooter and you just, you know, and I think it's one of those things. You don't have to have a license. You don't have to have a urine test. You don't have to have to pass a criminal background check. Uh, so buyer beware. Cause this guy's going to be looking in your windows. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I've heard a lot of sketchy stories about tree service. I interrupted you. Did it wrap up? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it wrapped up. Uh, it wrapped on Wednesday afternoon. We got a verdict. It didn't. It took them about an hour, and uh, and and yeah. The uh, I mean, you had and there was also a witness that came in on that that came on behalf of Jesse Gaddy, who was another relative, um, and who was recently out of prison, and who said that he was there with James Ivy and Richard Gaddy when they were all doing heroin and 
Richard Gaddy or no, James Ivy made the phone call to the investigators, and you know Richard, and he saw Richard Gaddy give him five baggies of heroin in exchange for saying that Jesse James knew that this was a stolen wood chipper. Although some of his testimony is pretty inconsistent with the other testimony, including the testimony of the police. So it was, it, it eventually, it was kind of a, um, it was, this is a big, this is, Oh, this is Jerry Springer with a wood chipper and and more heroin than usual. (laughs) Right. Right. And you know, um, and apparently I mean, and the only ones who weren't doing heroin, it seems like, are Jesse James Gaddy and his his particular uh, group of Gaddies. Um, and you know, at the end of the trial, this was the one that Jim Robertson did. This is Jim Robertson. He said this was his last jury trial. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a uh, it's poignant. What a way to go out. <laughs> what a what a district court way to go out. <laughs> really. But he, he said, you know, uh, you know, I think I can't, his exact words are in my notebook. I don't have it in my hand, but it, it's something about you got awfully close to the fire this time, Mr. Gaddy. Um, you, you might want to avoid having this look like a pattern or uh, me and my colleagues are going to see it in a, a different light. And I think uh, I think Mr. Gaddy took that in the spirit intended, which was, you know, you're right. You didn't get past reasonable doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. But uh, get clean and don't come back here. Right, right. Yeah, you, yeah. you do not want to make a, a habit of this. Um, and, you know, relative to some of the other people in that trial, he's he's kept a fairly clean nose. Right. Um, okay. But, and he was uh, – and the victim, uh, Mr. Jordan, did say that when he came out there – because he was able to identify his wood shepherd, it, something I hadn't said before, it had been painted white with house paint. Like really badly, like, um, like, like some of the dials were covered up, stuff like that, some of the gauges, which is one of the reasons that whenever the cops came out there, they looked at it and said, huh, that's suspicious, you know, just because that's one of the things you do when you steal things is you paint them really badly. Uh, he, he claims he painted it that color to, uh, to match his truck because he likes to have all of his stuff be white, um, which, you know, perhaps it's true. Uh but uh, he was able to – Mr. Jordan was able to identify it because you know, he'd worked at it for a while. You know, this is, and it was a, actually a, a kind of a rare model. It might be the only one in the state at the time. You know, this particular brand with this particular size shoot. I mean I learned more about wood chippers this week than I think <laughs> I'd ever thought to know. Uh, and I still don't know as much as these guys, obviously. But um, – he was able to identify it, and I know I've 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 worked with with tools, and you know they 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 get uh, they get unique. You know, bits of them break off. Yeah. you fix them. You have to fix them with an odd shaped bolt, stuff like that. So he was able to identify it, and uh, he said that Jesse Gaddy was a, a real gentleman about it. He said, well, it sounds like this is your wood chipper. It sounds like I'm out ten thousand dollars. Helped him hook it up to his truck and everything. Um, the deputy investigating said he just thought that he really wanted to get the cops out of there, but. Um, but he took it to back to Barnes and had him look it over and um, was able to identify it because there was a there was a fake plate on there that had the VIN number on it. It was mm-hmm. not riveted on, it was just sort of bolted on. And uh, but there was uh, they were able to identify it from the the serial number on the on the engine. So um, so he spoke very highly of, of Jesse Gaddy and he said, you know, I 
it's really easy to buy something in good faith and have it turn out to be stolen. He basically said, I've, I've bought, you know, chainsaws and stuff from some guy, you know, who I knew and who was kind of up against it, needed to, he said, I think he said something to make a child support payment, something like that. And, you know, I bought it thinking, well, I don't know that it's stolen. <laughs> you know, so he was, he really, he actually, he, he made sort of a plea not to punish J.C. Gaddy if, if he, if he really didn't know it was a stolen, um, yeah. which was, you know, kind of him. That's interesting. It was interesting. It was it was interesting all around, um, and I've never heard the word chipper so many times. <laughs> I don't know that I've heard it quite so much, even since we've been talking. Right, and as I'm writing it, I'm trying to vary things. You know, mm-hmm. like the machine. <laughs> I haven't got another euphemism for wood chipper. At yeah, this what's point. The, the chip the. Uh, no, never mind. Yeah, no, I got nothing. It's just gonna have to be in there over and over again. Have fun. Actually, there's a sentence I've already put in there about uh, a word the jurors heard many times over the three-day trial. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Isaac. Oh, my pleasure. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.